Gentlemen, we do not stop till nightfall. What about breakfast? We've already had it. We've had one, yes. What about second breakfast? Don't think he knows about second breakfast, Pip. What about elevensies? Luncheon, afternoon tea, dinner, supper. He knows about them, doesn't he? everyone welcome back to second breakfast as you will no doubt hear in the background uh, there is a fire crackling away uh, I'm sat in my favorite armchair in Bag End and I'm delighted to be here to discuss to Maggots Farm and Buckland which is from the return of the shadow and of course the history of Middle-earth so before I sort of get into the the main show I just wanted to emphasize um, obviously the very difficult troubling times that, that we're currently in the um, coronavirus which has affected you know the whole world and some of us in more ways than other I, I just want to send um, my best wishes out to everyone hopefully you all stay safe and well uh, yourselves and your families as well um, it has had as you've probably gathered, a bit of an effect on, on the Green Deal podcast. Um, it's it, it's getting in the way of us being able to record, um, which sounds ridiculous because of um, sort of isolating at home, etc. However, we all now have a new world to get used to, um, and. I mean, I, for example, myself, my wife, we're still classed in the UK as actually key workers. So it's it's meant that we've had to change um, how we do things, uh, children as well to look after. It, it, it's been problematic. So um, hopefully, hopefully the shows will start to, to, to uh, come out again. Um, but there is hopefully understandably uh, reasons why perhaps this is this is slowed down a little bit right so as you know second breakfast it's a sideshow of the main green door podcast and i'm slowly working through uh, the return of the shadow which is from the history of middle earth at this point i would usually highlight the books that i am going to be using today so I've already mentioned Volume 6, Return of the Shadow, uh, otherwise known as Part 1 of the History of the Lord of the Rings by uh, the late, great Christopher Tolkien. 
We have uh, in places the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien, edited by Humphrey Carpenter, again with the assistance of Christopher Tolkien. We have um, J.R.R. Tolkien, a biography by Humphrey Carpenter. And then uh, we also have The Lord of the Rings, A Reader's Companion by Wayne G. Hammond and Christina Skull. And of course, we have the main text itself, um, The Lord of the Rings, Part 1, The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien. So since my last episode, I have now raided a few second-hand bookshops um, before the sort of shutdown and coronavirus took over, and I've now actually got 22 copies of The Lord of the Rings. Um, and as you know, I've decided to try and use a different copy, a different, um, uh, a different book for each and every one of the second breakfasts. So the one I am using today, I've picked it up now, is special to me because of what it makes me um, or think, remember from childhood. So it's actually one I picked up from you know, a second-hand book store. It is the 1969 Fourth Impression One Paperback Edition, which is published by George Allen and Unwin Limited, and it has a fantastic cover illustration by the late great Pauline Baines, uh, who was responsible for much uh, Tolkien artistic wondery, and it's it's really it's it's Pauline's cover that brings back the memories because it was the same cover that my mum had. Um, which she first gave me to read. So the cover in front of me now is the one that I first saw when I was first given Lord of the Rings by Mum to to read many, many, many years ago. And it's brilliant. It's um, got orange writing in the middle, the Lord of the Rings. There's two sort of trees in yellow that, that form the edges. And then you can see the... Um, the Fellowship of the Ring, on top of a hill, looking down through um, through a valley, and then in the distance are mountains. On the back, we have further um, further art with well Mount Doom in in, in the background. It's brilliant. It, as I said, it brings back lots of great memories, and as a result, I absolutely love this um, this particular edition. Right. In the last episode, we took a bit of a detour. Uh, we discussed uh, how the shadow of the past began to form in the professor's mind, following on from uh, an introduction in the previous chapter of the Black Riders and a discussion with Gildor and the elves in the Woody End. To summarise quickly once more, Tolkien's second original chapter. We saw the hobbits Bingo, Oddo and Frodo leave the Shire on the road to Rivendell. We also saw the story start to take a dark and menacing turn, with a meeting on the road changing from a white horse to a black horse, and from Gandalf to a black rider. We saw elements of Three's company emerge, not least a meeting and conversation with Gildor and the elves. But the narrative was lacking the backstory provided by that later written chapter 2, The Shadow of the Past. Ultimately, as we have started to see the idea of the Black Riders 
and the ring evolving quickly in Tolkien's mind. And also the more light-hearted tone he had established previously in The Hobbit was now being replaced by a far more menacing Lord of the Rings. I previously suggested that people sort of reread certain chapters of The Lord of the Rings. Now, with regards to what we'll discuss uh, in, in this episode, it would probably be helpful and always nice uh, to have a reread of chapter four of The Lord of the Rings, a shortcut to mushrooms, and then also the beginning of chapter five, A Conspiracy Unmasked. That way, you'll more fully appreciate how the story changes and develops over time from what we discussed today. So, without further ado, we'll pick the story up with what was the third of the original consecutive chapters written by the Professor, The Morning After, The Night Before, and Those Elves. Christopher Tolkien states that this original chapter only exists in complete form in typescript, bearing the number three in Roman numerals, and with no title. The ending of the chapter is in manuscript form, and we'll consider this in more detail later on tonight. Now, although this chapter has obvious similarities to the final version, it is for the most part drastically different and far removed from what actually ended up in print. And for these reasons, I'm really looking forward to digging a bit deeper and exploring with you these fascinating changes. Right, so let's start with comparing a few similarities between what was the final version and these very first um, thoughts set out in this first phase manuscript. They're off to pick up Marmaduke at Buckland on the way to Rivendell. So there's no mention of Crick Hollow or Bree yet, but there is a destination of Rivendell as, as the sort of the, the ultimate aim. Shortcuts make long delays. Again, no mention of the Golden Perch yet, but there is decisions on whether to take the road or the country. There's the image of the Black Rider um, on the hill, uh, sat on his horse on the top of the slope, a Black Rider sat on a horse. He seemed to be swaying from side to side, as if sweeping all the land eastward with his gaze. So that Black Rider searching for the, the hobbits from atop the hill is there in that first, that first draft. And then I'm going to compare the very eerie signalling whale um, that was in the final shortcut to mushroom section. So I'll read what the original is first. They went on for perhaps another couple of miles. Then the sun gleamed out of ragged clouds again and the rain lessened. It was now past midday, and they felt it was high time for lunch. They halted under an elm tree. Its leaves, though fast turning yellow, were still thick, and the ground at its feet was fairly dry and sheltered. When they came to make their meal, they found that the elves had filled their bottles with a clear drink, pale golden in colour. It had the scent of a honey made of many flowers, and was wonderfully refreshing. 
Very soon they were laughing and snapping their fingers at rain and at black riders. The last few miles they felt would soon be behind them. Frodo propped his back against the tree trunk and closed his eyes. Sam and Pippin sat near and they began to hum and then to sing softly. Ho, 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 to the bottle I go, to heal my heart and drown my woe. Rain may fall and wind may blow, and many miles be still to go. But under a tall tree I will lie, and let the clouds go sailing by. Ho, 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 they began again louder. They stopped short suddenly. Frodo sprang to his feet. A long-drawn wail came down the wind, like the cry of some evil and lonely creature. It rose and fell, and ended on a high, piercing note. Even as they sat and stood, as if suddenly frozen, it was answered by another cry, fainter and further off, but no less chilling to the blood. There was then a silence, broken only by the sound of the wind in the leaves. What do you think that was? Pippin asked at last, trying to speak lightly but quavering a little. If it was a bird, it was one I'd never heard in the Shire before. It was not bird or beast, said Frodo. It was a call or a signal. There were words in that cry, though I could not catch them. But no hobbit has such a voice. No more was said about it. They were all thinking of the riders, but no one spoke of them. They were now reluctant either to stay or go on, but sooner or later they had got to get across the open country to the ferry, and it was best to go sooner and in daylight. In a few moments they had shouldered their pats again and were off. So that's from A Shortcut to Mushrooms. That's the final version. And compare that with what was in the first draft written by the professor um, many years previously. With his back to the tree trunk, Oddo began to sing softly to himself. Ho, 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 to my bottle I go, to heal my heart and drown my woe. Rain may fall and wind may blow, and many miles be still to go. But under the elm tree I will lie, and let the clouds go sailing by. Ho, ho, ho. It will never be known whether the next verse was any better than the first, for just at that moment there was a noise like a sneeze or a sniff. Oddo never finished his song. The noise came again. Sniff, sniff, sniff. It seemed to be quite close. They sprang to their feet and looked quickly about, but there was nothing to be seen anywhere near their tree. Oddo had no more thought of lying and watching the clouds go by. He was the first to be packed and ready to start. In a few minutes from the last sniff, they were off again as fast as they could go. So, the idea was there, but it was a sniff, originally, linking back to the sniffing that the original Black Rider had done um, in the previous, the previous chapter. And, look, personally, nowhere near as, uh, as eerie. The, the wailing, the calling, the, the nature that they were sort of being penned in that was in final version of Shortcut to Mushrooms, for me, uh, is so much better. But it made me smile when I saw how that idea was first considered by the professor. Okay, so the hobbits proceed on their way. They suddenly realise that 
some of the fields that they're walking through actually belong to old farmer Maggot. And what then follows is later, um, later placed into the prologue instead. But there's a very long and hobbit-like conversation about whether Farmer Maggot lives in a house or a hole. And I've included a section of this because it just it, it made me made me smile again when I read it, and I thought uh, it was interesting information, which uh, you will. Um, enjoy seeing that the professor had, had thought of for this very opening uh, phase. He lives in a house, answered Frodo. There are very few holes in these parts. They say houses were invented here. Of course, the brandy bucks have that great burrow of theirs at Bucklebury in the high bank across the river, but most of their people live in houses. There are lots of those new fashioned brick houses. Not too bad, I suppose, in their way, although they look all very naked, if you know what I mean. No decent turf covering, all bare and bony. Fancy climbing upstairs to bed, said Otto. That seems to me most inconvenient. Hobbits aren't birds. I don't know, said Bingo. It isn't as bad as it sounds. Though, personally, I never like looking out of upstairs windows. It makes me a bit giddy. There are some houses that have three stages, bedrooms above bedrooms. I slept in one once long ago on a holiday. The wind kept me awake all night. What a nuisance, if you want a handkerchief or something when you are downstairs and find it is upstairs, said Oddo. You could keep handkerchiefs downstairs if you wished, said Frodo. You could, but I don't believe anybody does. So, <laughs> yeah, very Hobbit-like conversation. And much of that, as I said, then found its way into the prologue uh, as a sort of information. Now to the original introduction with Maggot himself. It was already late afternoon when they saw the roof of a house peeping out of a clump of trees ahead and to their left. There is uh, Farmer Maggot, said Frodo. I think we'll go around it, said Bingo, and strike the lane on the far side of the house. I am supposed to have vanished, and I would rather not be seen sneaking off in the direction of Buckland, even by good farmer Maggot. They went on, leaving the farmhouse away on their left, hidden in the trees several fields away. Suddenly, a small dog came through a gap in a hedge and ran barking towards them. Here, here, Gip, Gip, said a voice. Bingo slipped on his ring. There was no chance for the others to hide. Over the top of the low hedge appeared a large, round hobbit face. Hello, hello, and who may you be, and what may you be doing, he asked. Good evening, Farmer Maggot, said Frodo. Just a couple of tooks from away back yonder and doing no harm, I hope. Well now, let me see you be Mr Frodo Took, Mr Folko Took's son, if I'm not mistook, and I seldom am. I've a rare memory for faces. You used to stay with young Mr Marmaduke. Any friend of Mr Marmaduke Brandybuck is welcome. You'll excuse my speaking sharp before I recognise you. We get some strange folk in these parts at times. Too near the river, he said, jerking back his head. There's been a very funny customer around here only an hour back. That's why I'm out with the dog. What kind of customer, asked Frodo. A funny customer and asking funny questions, said Farmer Maggot, shaking his head. Come along to my house and I'll have a drink and we'll pass the news more comfortably like, if you and your friend are willing, Mr Took. It seemed plain that Farmer Maggot would only pass the news in his own time and place, 
and they guessed that it might be interesting, so Frodo and Oddo went along with him. The dog remained behind, jumping and frisking around Bingo to his annoyance. "'What's come to the dog?' said the farmer, looking back. "'Here, Gip, heel!' he called. To Bingo's relief, the dog obeyed, though it turned back once and barked. "'What's the matter with you?' growled Farmer Maggot. "'There seems to be something queer abroad this day. "'Gip went near off his head when that stranger came along, "'and now you'd think he could see or smell something that ain't there.'" So, um, no stealing of mushrooms, or in fact, any mushrooms to eat either. Um, we have Gip, the introduction of Gip, the small yappy dog, compared to the far more um, ferocious... Grip, Fang and Wolf that we uh, learn to love so well. And Bingo hides from Maggot using the ring. He puts the ring on. So big, big changes. Big, big changes that um, are not there in the, in the final version. Discussions with Maggot then take place along with his wife uh, in their kitchen. There's mugs of beer... Uh, and lots of party talk. The conversation does refer back to the party um, over in Hobbiton. Now, Bingo remains invisible and silent throughout, although he's clearly close enough to listen into the conversation that follows. Well, he comes riding in at the gate and up to the door on a big black horse. All black he was himself too, and cloaked and hooded up as if he didn't want to be known. Good heavens, I said to myself, here's one of the big people. Now what in the Shire can he want? We don't see many of the big people down here, though they come over the river at times, but I've never heard tell of any like this black chap. Good day to you, I says. This lane don't go no further, and wherever you'll be going, your quickest way will be back to the road. I did not like the look of him, and when Gip came out, he took one sniff and let out a howl as if he'd been bitten. He put down his tail and bolted, howling all the way. I come from over yonder, he answered stiff and slow like, pointing back west over my fields, Woodall Way. Have you ever seen Mr. Bulger Baggins? He asked in a queer voice and bent down towards me, but I could see no face, his hood fell so low. I had a sort of shiver down my back, but I didn't see why I should come riding so bold over my land. Be off, I said. Mr. Bulger Baggins has vanished, disappeared, if you take my meaning, gone into the blue, and you can follow him. He gave a sort of hiss, seeming angry and startled-like, it seemed to me, and he spurred his great horse right at me. I was standing by the gate, but I jumped out of the way mighty quick, and he rolled through it and down the lane like mad. What do you think of that? I don't know what to think, said Frodo. Well, I'll tell you what to think, said the farmer. This Mr. Bingo has got himself mixed up in some trouble and disappeared a purpose. There are plainly some folk as are mighty keen to find him. Mark my words, he'll all be alone of some of those doings of old Mr. Bilbo's. He ought to have struck at Bolger and not gone tacking on Baggins. They are queer folk up Hobbiton Way, begging your pardon. It's the Baggins that has got him into trouble, mark my words. That certainly is an idea, said Frodo. Very uh, interesting what you tell us. I suppose you've never seen any of these uh, black chaps before. Not that I remember, said Farmer Maggot. 
and I don't want to see any again. Now I hope you and your friend will stay and have a bite and a sup with me and the wife. Thank you very much, said Odo, regretfully, but I'm afraid we ought to go on. Yes, said Frodo, we have some way to go before night, and really we have already rested too long, but it is very kind of you all the same. Well, here's your health and good luck, said the farmer, reaching for his mug. But at that moment, the mug left the table, rose, tilted in the air, and then returned empty to his place. Help and save us! cried the farmer, jumping up. Did you see that? This is a queer day and no mistake. First the dog and then me seeing things that ain't. Oh, I saw the mug too, said Otto, unable to hide a grin. You did, did you? said the farmer. I don't see no cause to laugh. He looked quickly and queerly at Otto and Frodo, and now seemed only too glad that they were going. They said goodbye politely but hurriedly, and ran down the steps and out of the gate. Farmer Maggot and his wife stood whispering at their door and watched them out of sight. So we have a similar recounting of the Black Rider and the Farmer Maggot encounter, but a very different ending now. Um, it's Bulger Baggins rather than Baggins. And when I read it, the trick with the mug seemed very out of place against the final published version. Um, it, it seems, you know... <laughs> For me, Maggot is is a hero. You know, he he's someone that was was so brave in 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 the uh, shortcut to mushrooms um, scene. He takes them up the the road, doesn't he, in the fog, uh, where they finally meet with Mary and um, goes out of his way to to assist them. And you get a very good friendly feel about about Maggot in this version. Bingo who will become Frodo, you know, obviously wearing the ring, plays this, this, this I think, quite, quite a cruel trick uh, on Maggot. And so it didn't really sit well with, with me at all. It didn't fit in. And, look, the, the scene ends with the hobbits leaving Farmer Maggot and continuing their walk to the landing stage at the river by Bucklebury. Uh, this time in light mist. There's none of the dread and the fear of that final version uh, in the cart uh, through the, the, the thick mist. Uh, and Maggot's character, as I've said, is as a result far removed and, in my view, far less heroic. The chapter continues then with the hobbits breaking into a bathroom song on their walk, following a discussion about the possibility of a bath later that night. I want a hot bath and a clean one. You may not get any, said Bingo. I don't know what Marmaduke has arranged or where we are sleeping. I didn't order baths, and if we get them, they will be our last for some time, I expect. Their talk flagged. They were now really getting tired, and went along with their chins down and their eyes in front of their toes. They were quite startled when suddenly a voice behind them cried, Hi! It then burst into a loud song. As I was sitting by the way, I saw three hobbits walking. One was done with naught to say, the others were not talking. Good night, I said, good night to you, they heeded not my greeting. One was deaf like the other two, it was a merry meeting. Marmaduke, cried Bingo, turning round. Where did you spring from? You passed me sitting at the roadside, said Marmaduke. Perhaps I ought to have laid down in the road, but then you would have just trodden on me and passed gaily on. 
brilliant. Loved this. Loved this when I read it the first time. So it's Marmaduke. It's effectively Merry. And Merry is there. Merry is in that song. It was a Merry meeting. And it was. It was the meeting of Merry for the first time. Obviously, at that at that stage, it wasn't apparent. But you do wonder whether or not, uh, I don't know, the professor reread what he had he had produced and took the name straight from um, from that song. Um, brilliant. One was deaf, like the other two. It was a merry meeting, and that jumped out um, when I read it. They then crossed the river via a small boat. And we have, again, the familiar black rider spotted shortly after on the riverside, sniffing the ground where they had trod a few moments earlier. So that's there, which, which was good to see. So where are the hobbits actually staying? Not in Brandy Hall, surely. Let's have a look. Where are you taking us for the night? asked Oddo. Not to Brandy Hall. Indeed not, said Marmaduke. It's crowded. And anyway, I thought you wanted to be secret. I'm taking you to a nice little house on the far side of Bucklebury. It's a mile more, I'm afraid, but it is quite cosy and out of the way. I don't expect anyone will notice us. They came at length to a little, low, one-storied house. It was an old-fashioned building, as much like a hobbit hole as possible. It had a round door and round windows and a low, rounded roof of turf. It was reached by a narrow green path and surrounded by a circle of green lawn, round which close bushes grew. It showed no lights. Marmaduke unlocked the door and lights streamed out in friendly fashion. They slipped quickly in and shut the light and themselves inside. They were in a wide hall from which several doors opened. Here we are, said Marmaduke. Not a bad little place. We often use it for guests since Brandy Hall is so frightfully full of brandy bucks. I have got it quietly ready in the last day or two. So no doubt, Crick Hollow, just as yet unnamed and obviously not purchased as part of some master plan uh, by Bingo or you know, Frodo, uh, as we find out. There's also none of Bingo's furniture, which obviously as part of the, the final story uh, is moved in uh, by that stage. We learn that Marmaduke or Merry had been at the big party but had left with Gandalf the dwarfs and the elves. We also learn that they had as well met Gildor's uh, crew of elves on the road prior to Bingo meeting with them. And alas, at this stage, there is no fatty. Did Gandalf send me any message? asked Bingo. No, nothing special. I asked him when we got to Brandywine Bridge if he wouldn't come along with me and wait for you so as to be a guide and helping hand. But he said he was in a hurry. In fact, if you want to know, he said, Bingo is now old enough and foolish enough to look after himself for a bit. I hope he's right, said Bingo. So recalling the finished published version, Gandalf's whereabouts are a big mystery. And although we aren't sure where he is, there is no fear or dread associated with his non-show um, in, in, this, in this phase. In fact, at the moment, Bingo is expecting to see Gandalf at Rivendell and not necessarily beforehand. The lack of the shadow of the past impact that we've discussed previously is again shown in this third consecutive original chapter, which means that Gandalf has chosen not to send him a message, even though at this stage he could have done. 
The Hobbits then have bath time, and then the following uh, the following thing I'm going to read is where the original typescript actually ends. They had supper in the kitchen on a table near the open fire. The others soon arrived. Oddo was the last, but he quickly made up for lost time. When they had finished, Marmaduke pushed back the table and drew chairs around the fire. We'll clear up later, he said. Now, tell me all about it. So that's where the typescript ends. That's where the professor had got to. Now, if we take a glance back to episode two and a long-expected party. If you recall, we mentioned a certain letter, dated the 4th of March, 1938, written by the Professor to Stanley Unwin. The sequel to The Hobbit has now progressed as far as the end of the third chapter, but stories tend to get out of hand, and this has taken an unpremeditated turn. So this is the end of chapter three, the end of the typescript section, and fits with the letter written to Stanley Unwin. Now on the 24th of July, 1938, in a letter to Charles Firth at Allen and Unwin, the professor wrote, The sequel to The Hobbit has remained where it stopped. It has lost my favour and I have no idea what to do with it. Christopher then comments, This then is where the narrative stopped and stayed stopped through some six months or more. With abundant Hobbit talk on the way, he had got Bingo, Frodo and Oddo to Buckland, on the way to Rivendell, whither Gandalf had preceded them. They had encountered the Black Riders, Gildor and his company of elves, and Farmer Maggot, where their visit ended in a much less satisfactory way than it would do later, through an outrageous practical joke on Bingo's part, the comic potential of which had by no means been exhausted. They had crossed the Brandywine and arrived at the little house prepared for them by Marmaduke Brandybuck. In his letter to Charles Firth, just cited, he said that he had no idea what to do with it, but Tom Bombadil, the Willow Man and the Barrow Whites were already envisaged as possibilities. On the 31st of August 1938, he wrote again to Charles Firth, and now a great change had taken place. In the last two or three days, I have begun again on the sequel to The Hobbit, the Lord of the Ring. It is now flowing along and getting quite out of hand. It has reached about chapter 7 and progresses towards quite unforeseen goals. So suddenly in manuscript form we have an ending to that original third chapter. The Hobbits then discuss their adventures on the road. Remember at this stage there is no conspiracy to be unmasked. Conversations are had about the Black Riders, Farmer Maggot and what to do next which eventually results in them deciding to brave the old forest the following morning. It was some time before the hobbits finished, putting things away, tidying up and packing what they needed in the way of stores for their journey. At last they went to bed and slept in proper beds, but without sheets, for the last time for many a long day. Bingo could not go to sleep for some time. His legs ached, he was glad he was riding in the morning. At last he fell asleep into a vague dream in which he seemed to be lying under a window that looked out into a sea of tangled trees. Outside there was a snuffling.
Christopher confirms that by this paragraph, it is now clear his father had yet to foresee the Hobbit's trip to Tom the Bomb's house, uh, at least where they eventually rest. Christopher also remarks that the passage um, in manuscript at the end of the present chapter was, I feel certain, added to the typescript at this time and was the beginning of this new burst of narrative energy. My father had now decided that the Hobbit's journey would take them into the Old Forest, that dubious region, which had appeared in the third version of a long-expected party, and where he had already suggested in early notes that the Hobbit should become lost and caught by the Willow Man. And the sequel to The Hobbit is given, for the first time, it seems, a title. The Lord of the Ring. Finally, there's a fascinating account um, of the six maps of the Shire, which Christopher highlights in this chapter. I'm not going to go into detail as it's so difficult to put this across properly in a podcast, but it's well worth a read to see how the Shire develops in these maps. So there we have it. We have now reached um, the end of Two Maggots Farm and Buckland. Hopefully I have demonstrated and shown a few more interesting points uh, in how the great uh, man himself came up with his wonderful story and the, the changes made and the, uh, the birth of certain ideas um, and how he has um, progressed those through. So thank you for listening. Obviously, thank you to my two wonderful uh, co-hosts of the Green Door podcast, who I am missing loads uh, because of the current situation with um, coronavirus, the difficulties that it's causing with regards to some podcasting for us at least. So big highs uh, to to James and May. Love you guys. Can't wait to get back and uh, tackle the Silmarillion with you. Big mention to our Facebook group as well. Uh, the Green Door podcast and also on Twitter come and come and say hi in there and join me next time where we will look at the first phase uh, the old forest and the withy window so stay safe take care of yourself and your loved ones this is Second Breakfast Breakfast